Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. Now, as we know, September is always a busy month of industry events. And while we might have thought this September would be a little bit different due to the pandemic, actually what we saw was that most events actually did proceed and they moved online. And, you know, there there was a wonderful theme to these um, events. And one of the really key themes that we saw coming through this year was about the industry giving back. You know, so we saw it through Sean Mulrain and the Ballymore uh, team out planting trees um indeed the team and and his family and um, generations of family and speaking of another uh third generation business McKeown group have launched a particularly interesting community initiative um and we'll be talking about that later in the show but our first guest today um actually has a, a very interesting event coming up this weekend so welcome to the show Frank Manahan director of architecture at the edge Frank thank you for joining us today Hi, Carol. Thanks for inviting me onto your uh, your wonderful podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm Pl- delighted. Pleasure to be here. I'm delighted. Um, Frank, I came across Architecture at the Edge last year and I came across it uh, too late to attend, but yeah. actually I was following a lot of the activity online. And the reason I, I couldn't attend was because it was over in the west of Ireland and I just wasn't able to get there. However, the lineup looked amazing. But this year, you, you've actually transitioned to take what, would seem to be an event that would have to be done uh, in situ. You've actually transitioned it online. Yeah, that's right, Carol. And um, no, normally we would have a uh, events. You know, the whole the whole idea is that people get an opportunity to visit and um, have access to buildings that they normally wouldn't have an opportunity to to do uh, that kind of thing. Um, and we would hold a symposium at, at the National University of Ireland in Galway. Um, we had. Uh, we've we've had a relationship with with the university for since we've been uh, going now. This is our this is our fourth year of the festival, um, but unfortunately this year that that just isn't possible to go ahead for for obvious reasons. Um, but we did feel it was it was important to remain relevant and to uh, maintain uh, the sort of activities that we do. And um, given that uh, we are a festival that's all about uh, public engagement with architecture and about the built environment and how that uh, our the quality of our lives is contingent on the quality of the built environment. Um, um, that now is a very important time to actually to continue that conversation. And um, you know, yeah. everyone's moved online to Zoom and uh, that's that's the way we're, we're going this year. So. It- yeah, no, I mean, look, it, it, it's a great idea. It, you're absolutely right when you say that um, it has never been more important to have a conversation about the built environment, because actually one of the things that I am hearing too much about is, um, you know, that that what's happening at the moment is simply, you know, an acceleration of trends that were already in play. And, you know, I, I was guilty of of using that term myself, but, um, you know, I, I read a really interesting uh, piece by a prop tech startup here in Ireland, uh, Standard Access, and they were talking about how actually it's quite detrimental to keep saying that the impact of the pandemic on the built environment is simply an acceleration of existing trends because actually it's not accurate, but, it, it, you know, it, it's also not helpful because actually 
every event that happens that has, uh, you know, that has historical significance shapes our built environment and changes it and leaves, you know, a lasting impact. So um, we saw that, you know, when we looked at maybe the impact of previous infections over the past century on environment on the environment in certain cities. Um, so it would be naive of us to think that this pandemic and, you know, is not going to have a lasting impact. But how are you approaching that in the festival? Um, it's quite an interesting one. I mean, I think there certainly is an acceleration to, to some extent of, of certain, um, you know, uh, requirements in and around the public realm uh, in particular. Uh, now, we don't have the best weather in this country, but I don't think that's that's going to get in the way Um you know that there is a need there, um, and you also have this this big big shift to remote working, and and you know we, we read and we hear about the property prices increasing throughout the, you know outside of of the capital. Um, you know people people want a better quality of life, and they feel that they can do that part of the time from home. I think there's also an opportunity to kind of see that revitalization of the towns and villages uh, as sort of hubs. Mm-hmm. Um, for different types of activities as well, but but I think we've always been shaping um, our built environment. Um, uh, you know, even before the pandemic, there was a there was a requirement to build in flexibility to things that we do. Um, you know, we we talk about repurposing or readapting old spaces for new uses. Um, you know, what they call meantime, meanwhile spaces, using you know things in the shorter term. But there certainly has to be, I think, built into whatever it is. Uh, that has been created or, or planned or, or developed that, uh, some sort of flexibility and, and 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 a way of adapting to to change as and when it happens. Yeah, I, you know, just this morning, uh, the Real Estate Alliance Property Group released figures, uh, data from the last quarter. And I understand, you know, this is a little bit um, maybe premature to be calling a trend, but, you know, the figures of the last quarter definitely revealed uh, demand for housing um, is on the up, but that people are looking to move out of the city and return to their native counties. So that really feeds into um, the the uh, I suppose the revitalization of the regions and more or, or more rural areas. Um, and you touched there on the um, you know remote working and the hub and spoke model of you know maybe remote working or working from yeah. an office that isn't your company's headquarters as such um and i think that that there's an opportunity here that maybe we haven't seen um in past years yeah i, th- I think so i mean certainly some people have always made that made that choice and uh, you know um i think you know with the rollout of of you know having good broadband is the key thing whether you have a teenager in the family or not we all mm. we you know to make that actually, a, uh, you know, a realistic sort of uh, way of living, you actually absolutely have to have that. It's, it's fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, um, I don't think the office is completely dead. I think we, we do need, the, our interactions are very important. Um, you know, we talk about a sense of community that you have in, in a village. And to some extent, these kind of hubs and uh that potentially are, are beginning to spring up around the country or with even within cities. I mean, you know, you, you look at somewhere like Singapore and it's or, or even London, and, and sometimes it's it's just a series of different villages. And if you actually sort of translate that sort of idea 
to a small country like ours, um, it's not impossible to, to imagine setting up um, these remote working stations where people can kind of come and, and uh, come into the office, we'll say, um, for a few days a week and then still have that uh, balance in their lives where they can work from home. And, and um, I suppose productivity is quite important. I think that's kind of dipped a little bit. Um, but it's no wonder we, we're all finding it quite difficult in these times. But there, but there are opportunities to to shape things. Um, so in a different way. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You're yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it, that sort of feeds into sort of transport and sort of um, planning, I suppose, as well. Um, yeah, and I saw that you actually have um, somebody from the uh, Western Development Commission um, on, uh, on the lineup, and I, I just think that's really interesting because. There was actually um, a representative from the Western Development Commission speaking at the national or the Irish planning conference earlier this month. And she was actually speaking about how uh, she's based in one county, works in another and has been uh, effectively working from home while working full time, working maybe from the office two days a week and yeah. uh, working uh, from home three days a week. Uh, since about 2003. So, you know, actually, we've been doing this in Ireland, particularly outside of the capital and outside of maybe the Leinster region for quite a while. Um, maybe it, it, so. I, I don't know. Is there an element that we just needed a few buzzwords connected to it for us to, to see it as a trend? But actually, it's really interesting now to learn from the experiences of people who've actually been doing this, you know, for the last almost two decades but that yeah. maybe we just weren't aware of. Um, Frank, I was just going through the, the lineup there um, and I see that actually not everything is online. You are going to have a number of art installations. Um, so will you talk us through maybe some of the offline elements of uh, the festival this weekend? Well, what we wanted to do was uh, maintain, you know, we are a festival. It is public facing and I suppose um, it's it's not just for a professional audience. It's really about, um, you know, communicating to, to the general public that um, a good quality built environment is is relevant to them and can impact their, their own social, uh, their well-being, their socioeconomic sort of situation and that kind of thing. So making it sort of fun, I suppose, is, is important. So uh, we've got some film screens that are happening on the exteriors of buildings in Seapoint in Galway and Galway's West End. And um, one of these projects is... Um, by a, a Galway-based photographer called Amelia Jeffermova, um, who had taken in March and April um, a series of self-isolation portraits. So when those that period of time when we were all kind of uh, cocooning or, or locked up, you know, yeah. within her within her two kilometers or whatever it was, um, she travelled around uh, within Galway city centre within within that radius. And took photographs of people on their doorsteps and um it was quite evocative kind of series of images and i suppose um it is all about community at the end of the day um and and that's a lovely exhibition so that will be that will be uh, projected onto the to walls like i say then we also did an open call that you know we, we do theme the festival every year mm-hmm. and what's and the theme for 2020 the theme this year is boundaries and we actually came up with that before there was these restrictions in place, you know, but when, you know, you remember it was two kilometres and then it was five kilometres and then it was the county. We might, we might be going so back to that. That's very relevant for the time yeah. we're in now because suddenly boundaries have become very important. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, whether that's national boundaries or you're talking about the Irish border and Brexit, it's 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 so relevant in so many different ways. Or, or you know, we do have an event which is all about um, procurement and and how, uh, you know, are we affording the opportunities to, to the talents of, uh, you know, small and medium enterprise kind of architectural practices to actually get into the bigger, the bigger kind of. Uh, you know, schemes, and I think, you know, maybe one of the ways out of this um, situation we're in is going to be a lot more of state investment in, in infrastructure and development and, and housing. Um, we'll see where that goes. I mean, it was a big hot topic before the election, of course. Yeah, um, um, the issue the issue of public procurement is one that has really come, come um, under the, the spotlight you know, maybe more at the earlier part of the year before yeah. um, COVID kind of took the focus off it. And there was a, a community of architects came together. Um, we can build better. And they've been promoting this on social media and yeah. and actually championing the yeah. the idea that actually, um, you know, like you mentioned there, that, you know, sometimes smaller practices can be shut out. So you might just explain yeah. that a little bit more for us. Yeah, so um, they're actually, it's... Uh... We've actually got it. That's one of our featured talks within the within the uh, online program, um, and it'll feature Michael Pike from uh, GKMB mm-hmm. um, and Louise Cotter from um, Car Cotter Nassim down in Cork, and um, you've got um, Orla Hegarty uh, from uh, UCD, who's is quite vocal about these these things. Yeah, and in uh, fact, she she actually published, um, or, or there was a, a piece from her published just today, and it was a particularly interesting one. Actually, um, you know, she's talking about actually how COVID nineteen, the pandemic, could actually be an opportunity to prioritize decent building um, or, or building decent homes. So I, I think that uh, we've actually we've actually interviewed Orla Higgety here on the show previously, and yeah. you know, she's very outspoken in you know definitely. She doesn't have the same maybe burdens or limitations that some of the commercial enterprise might have, you know, coming at it from an ad- academic it. point of view yeah. that, you know, there's there's definitely a conversation that needs to happen where we try to correct some of the issues, you know, without getting overly idealistic in a way that is unachievable or unattainable. We definitely need to use this period of chaos to take advantage of it to actually stop things that weren't working properly and make changes to to help the built environment work better. And, you know, it, it's been a fairly strong source of contention that, you know, during the crash and the early stages of the recovery, that was the right time to create some change. And maybe the change didn't happen the way many people in the industry or perhaps commentating on the industry would have liked to see it happen. And it feels like the pandemic is a little bit of a do-over. You know, this is the time where we say we know more, we have more data, uh, we can do this better. Um, but is there is there a will, a political will to, to support yeah. that? I don't know. I, th- I think this this sort of fundamentally at the heart of of this question of, of I suppose boundaries and barriers, um, you know what's in the way. I mean, I think um, uh, Orla, in her position uh, as you know assistant professor at the School of Architecture and Planning in in UCD, would be aware of the sort of legislations through you know um, modules that she'd be teaching uh, young architects in. Um, and, and you know the the the, the uh, for their part three examination, you know, and, and management practice and law, and 
I think she sort of sees the unwieldy sort of system that we've got set up, you know, the bureaucracy, you know, uh, that might exist there that, that actually, um, you know, gets in the way of this. I mean, we often hear about, you know, perhaps uh, sometimes the fingers pointed at, at, at communities and people say, well, there's nimbyism or, you know, not my backyard. But, but sometimes it's, it's sort of, there, there is an awful lot of talent out there that's just, you know, not being harnessed. And I think, um, you know, it, that sort of connects to that idea of, you know, if, 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 if people can remote work, then why can't uh, maybe smaller practices might find it, it, it's a better environment to set up in these, in these sort of more Western or rural sort of rare areas as well. Yeah. Um, so I think in highlighting some of the, the issues that the state, how the state procures its buildings, mm-hmm. um, then you know maybe there's opportunities then f- to raise the quality of life for, for all for everybody. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think one of the problems that, that I certainly see through the procurement uh, process, uh, and not just from an architecture or building point of view, but actually, you know, um, there's such a, a weighted significance given to experience. And it, it is almost immaterial whether that experience is good or bad. And we've seen that through the choice of contractors on very large commercial uh, or large state and infrastructure projects. So actually, we've almost ridiculously weighted um, uh, experience in the public sector against uh, which which cancels out any innovation, any new entries uh, or new entrants into the into the um, the procurement process, and it's completely contrary to any idea of innovation and improvement. So yeah. um, they, they just they go hand in hand. Um, you know uh, that if you've been there for a long time, you stay there. And if you've never done it, then you can't get in, you know, and, and it's just a ridiculous system when you step back and look at it in its simplest form. So actually the, the We Build Better campaign is such an important one. In fact, I think it's important from an architecture point of view, but actually I believe in in every industry, they would probably have the same issues with public procurement. So the issue is really with public procurement. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you could probably find this in, in so many other ways and, and I think throughout the different events within the festival too it is about taking a different approach mm-hmm. um, and I suppose I suppose that's why what what we're about I suppose and, and makes it a little bit different from from the other kind of events that might be happening in relation to the built environment yeah uh, you know you know but you have the sandy road development is is uh is a big thing here in Galway which um which was commissioned by the the land development agency and we have you know John Moore will be will be taking part in one of the talks as well um, but you know that was in partnership with the RIAI and Galway City Council working together um, to look at you know to unlock the potential for for a massive uh, brownfield site on the edge of the city. Um, but it's you know, it's a very complex kind of arrangement, um, and you know there's a, there's a lot of leftover spaces uh, that are I suppose unconnected to the city. You know all over the country, and and this sort of you know. There's, there's potential here to kind of look at a different way of doing things, I suppose. Yeah. And, I, you know, um, you I know. think I think you've maybe epitomised that uh, with uh, the big debate. And I, I have to disclose a vested interest here because I will be chairing this debate, which I'm very much looking forward to, um, because we're, we're going to have a panel 
uh, actually debate the the ongoing uh, fitness uh, for purpose of Project 2040 post-COVID-19. And I think that's such an important conversation to have because we've touched on so many elements over the past number of months here on the show. So yeah. uh, you've mentioned there that John Moran, uh, chair of the Land Development Agency, and the Land Development Agency is certainly putting out its markers to be one of the most transformative agencies in recent times for this industry. Now, obviously, we wait to see, can it deliver on that? But it's certainly setting out those markers to become this. Um, so we'll have John Moran uh, together with Elaine Brick uh, of ACOM and Tomas O'Shuckon, uh, is it? That's um, correct, yeah. Uh, the CEO of the Western Development Commission and indeed John Concannon, who is Vice President of NUI Galway. And so that's a that's a really um, esteemed multidisciplinary panel coming together here to discuss something. So we'll be able to talk about it from the from the um, the public and the societal right through to the to the uh, transport and, and indeed kind of the bigger picture through the LDA and the Western Development Commission. And it's really important, by the way, to say that this isn't just about Galway. We're taking um, County Mayo as well. But that's, yeah. you know, so so that's uh, that's one particular event. Like I said, I, I, I'm disclosing a vested interest here, but it's one particular event that I'm really looking forward to. Um, Frank, another thing that, that struck me, I when I heard you speaking about the launch of this year's events, you know, you spoke about how, you know, you you really want to empower people to shape their built environment and to remove boundaries to participation. And, you know, public public consultation is something that was seen for much too long in Ireland um, for the built environment as a tick box exercise. And there are yeah. many organisations, including our own place engaged, that are trying to overcome this. Um, but I thought you you described it very eloquently, you know, when you spoke about to live in the west of Ireland is to be surrounded by boundaries. So whether it's hedgerows, stone walls, the coastline of the sea and the edge of our town and settlement, you know, yeah. look around and you'll see the architectural signals that define people past and present and their place in society and distribution of property and I just thought that that really encompasses everything right down to our maybe the psychology around property and our need to protect what's within our own defined boundaries so I thought you know it was such an interesting way to start the conversation when we do want um, we do want uh, the community, we want people to use their voice to base, to, to help shape the built environment, because, you know, it is uh, it is one of the founding tenets of placemaking that the community knows best. You know, so, yeah. um, you know, you definitely want to bring, you know, you want to bring these experts in to answer questions. But we definitely need for the community to raise the right questions as well. And the only way we can do that is by making it accessible. You know, that yeah. it isn't just people who have, um, you know, a background in planning or in architecture or uh, that have design skills, that really every voice comes together to shape this. So I, that's why I think the the concept of boundaries is not just a particularly important one, but also a particularly relevant and timely one. Um, so before we finish up, I just want maybe you might just talk us through some of the highlights that you don't want people to miss um, this weekend. Well, well, for me on that, Carol, it would have to be um, the, the Rural Office for Architecture with Neil Maxwell. There's going to be a series of talks. The first one which is taking place this Friday evening at, at half past five, um, where he's invited uh, Fiona and Matt and... Um, 
Owen Griffiths and um, Tom Keeley to, to take part. And it's a, it's a discussion about removing the barriers to, to uh, participation uh, for people. I mean, you know, we, t we talked about underutilized resources, whether it's our architects, our brownfield sites, um, but of course, the, you know, the greatest resource we have are people. Um, and, um, you know, the pandemic has highlighted sort of, I suppose, some inequalities in society, mm -hmm. do you know? Um, and we could, put, you know, probably warrant another podcast just to talk about that. Absolutely. But, but um, you know, it, the people, we, we all do know that the people most affected are those ones that are that they're sort of, uh, that, you know, um, have less opportunities, let's say, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Are you know, we are you know, and we you know we we've hinged a lot on tourism as well in this country and that kind of thing. So it's about, but that aside, we we the series with Nile Maxwell is is about removing barriers to participation and actually about bringing people to you know we had a tradition in this country of metal for a long time and I'm sure it still exists. Yes, and it's just about people helping each other. Um, and and coming together to kind of, you know, it might have been the harvest or it could have been building a house. And I think, you know, the bungalow bis sort of type of thing is actually is almost part of that. And people have, have written about that kind of thing before. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it is a very strong thing that we have here is is how people can come together and support each other and help each other and um, to use whatever it is within their locality um, to, to build uh, something, uh, whether that's a physical building or if it's if it's it's if it's much more something about an organisation or a group that sort of can um, help fulfil the needs of that community. Mm -hmm. And I suppose um, we're beginning to see, I think, um, a movement where people are sort of you know, uh, you know, we talk, you know, when I mentioned that the the, the utilisation of the talent that we have of architects, I think you know architects can offer solutions. To a lot of things it's you know we are meant to be problem solvers and um you, you find ways of, of assembling something from you know constituent parts i suppose and putting it together um at a certain location but within that process it's, it's all about uh the program and the need for what it you know who who's it serving and um so i would really hope that that's uh through the series of talks throughout the autumn um, that we can sort of explore how we can remove some of these barriers and how we can sort of start to build it together, I suppose. Okay. Uh, to and make things a bit better for everybody. Very good. Thanks, Frank. Yeah. And uh, just one final thing here. I see that you have something on the air we breathe. And yeah. that's that's particularly relevant, um, you know, yeah. over the past uh, over the past week where we saw the EPA launched its latest report on the air quality data from 2019. And, you know, so it, th this seems like a particularly relevant. So just uh, talk to us about that particular yeah. event. That this came through the, the open call uh, to artists and architects uh, to respond to the theme of boundaries. Mm -hmm. And... Um, this particular uh, geo, Sam Vardy and Paul McCluskey, they, they have a, a collective called A Place of Their Own. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they exploring the idea that the air we breathe might suggest a sort of a public realm. And um, that sort of, you know, you can't really control the public realm in lots of ways. You know, people do what they want and walk where they want and, in lots of ways. And the, the air does that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not defined by boundaries. Um 
it's very hard to describe the air we breathe. You know, it's something we take for granted, but of course it's it's absolutely vital. We all know that now we're, we're wearing face masks. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're working with scientists um, that are based uh, doing research from the Mace Head, uh, you know, air pollution studies, um, you know, that take place there. Um, it's Dr. Claire Noon and uh, Liz Coleman. And um, for a long time, they've been monitoring the air quality from Macehead. And actually, apparently, it's a very important station for, for all of Europe. And sort of, you know, if, if you're looking for vital signs of the condition of of the air of the entire planet, Macehead is actually quite an important location. And it's right here in Galway. Um, so the artists are working with the scientists to create this installation. It's an art installation. Um, and um, it's going to be situated uh, at Grattan Beach in the city uh, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's just to draw attention to, uh, I suppose, or draw a correlation between the, that. You know, we hear about us all being in this together, but you know, we all do share the air. But you know, there's sort of ideas that that um, that everything's one big, you know, the planet's like one big organism. We're all interconnected. We all depend on each other. Uh, you know, um, and the air that we breathe is is you know is this very same as that. You know, uh, you you can't define uh, it. You know, it's hard to inscribe quality qualities to it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's something that's co-produced. It's actually a product of of the environment that we live in. So um, I suppose that's, that's what the artists are trying to sort of say with this. And it's an art science kind of connection. I think we, we need to see more of these things. Absolutely. Um, and these look, sort of collaborations. And look, we've only touched on, yeah. you know, a, a small number of the great events that are scheduled to take place this weekend from uh, the 2nd to the 5th of October. So the full lineup is available on architectureattheedge.com. That's right, yeah, on the website. Super. Uh, Frank, first of all, thank you so much for, for from the industry for putting this together. Um, I look forward to participating and I look forward to enjoying many of the events. Um, and I would encourage anybody to take a look at the website, architectureattheedge.com. And uh, now the fact that location is no problem, you can sign up and, and follow online. That was Frank Manhan, Director of Architecture at the Edge. Uh, my thanks again for joining us today. We need to take a quick break now. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, so following on from our early earlier theme of the industry giving back, third generation business McKeown Group has launched an interesting community initiative to celebrate 70 years in the industry. And here to tell us about it is Director at McKeown Group and Judge in the Ashburn Heroes Initiative is Cleana Malloy, Director of McKeown Group. Um, Cleana, well, let's let's start by congratulating all at McKeown Group. 70 years in the industry, that's a huge achievement. Absolutely, it is. Um, as you say, we're a third generation and the company was originally founded in 1950 by my grandfather. Um, so uh, we're thrilled to have reached this milestone. Yeah, yeah, third generation. You know, that that's a heavy mantle to have. So um, you're a director alongside your brother, uh, Tomas McKeown. Uh, so again, it's still very much a family run business. But look, talk to us a little bit about the work that McKeown Group is involved in. 
Absolutely. So um, we are construction main contractors and we are building services contractors. So we have mechanical, electrical and technology divisions as well. Um, we work across a range of industries, um, including commercial, education, hospitality, healthcare. Um, and I suppose where our niches or where we really excel is um, carrying out projects and operating in complex, uh, live and occupied environments, um, you know, where we need to be innovative in our solutions for the clients. Okay. And so, well, I, I suppose that the you mentioned there in terms of complex um, projects and live environments. Did you have many essential projects uh, ongoing during the lockdown over the last number of months? We actually did have um, uh, two contracts um, ongoing during that time. Um, one was a contract um, where we are preparing properties um, for housing agencies uh, for our clients. So that was deemed as essential. Um, obviously, is something that's that's needed um, in Ireland at the moment. Absolutely. And another one was for a, a med- medical manufacturing plant. Okay, so and obviously um, most of those projects or those type of projects um, would be considered essential at the moment. Um, Actually, have you seen a ramping up of activity in that area? Um, yes, we have. I, I've, I've been look. It's, it's been a, a strange time, and, and we had uh, several projects, you know, put on hold and that kind of thing. But we have, in the last month or two, been been given go ahead on uh, some of those, which is encouraging to see. So hopefully that will continue. Okay, very good. And um, uh, by the way, how many people are are um, engaged there through McEwan Group? We have approximately uh, 80 direct employees at the moment. And then obviously we have a, a range of um, approved subcontractors that have worked with us for many years. Okay. And you might have seen the news over the last few days, you know, that that Uh, construction in Ireland is contracting over the past uh, month and a half. What has been your experience on the ground? Yes, look, like like I was saying, it's what we're really seeing is delays on decisions. Um, That that seems to be uh, the biggest thing and across the industry. And again, while while some are moving forward, uh, you know, with, I suppose, what's being termed as the second wave, it's hard to know without a crystal ball exactly how how that will work. progress but look we have to we've had to change we've had to adapt um and all we can do is you know keep following the the new practices we've put in place and um keep i suppose being able to prove that that the industry can continue um while following um, new procedures and that type of thing oh very good and actually speaking of new procedures i'm familiar with um an app that your company actually developed and made available for the entire industry. So actually, you might just, for anybody who isn't familiar with it, you might just actually speak to people about that app uh, to streamline compliance processes. Yeah, so um, this came about during uh, during lockdown, really, when we sat down to think about, you know, how we would um, get back to work. Um, and one of the uh, the factors we had to consider was in terms of um, obviously social distancing, but also our procedures for induction um you know, for any staff and and subcontractors coming on site. And the big issue there is, you know, handling pens and paper and checking safe pass cards and that type of thing. 
So we thought about, you know, how could we bring that online? And initially we were talking about, you know, filling out a, a form in advance, but you still have to, you know, be able to access that form and what happens if people go to, you know, go from one site and, uh, you know, a week later they have to go to a different site. How do you access that? So we came up with um, a, what we've termed the Good to Go app, um, which has been hugely successful. Um, and it allows, uh, so it, it's a link. It takes, uh, you know, three minutes for someone to fill out and they're in, including all of their details that they usually would for induction. So their, um, their safe pass, their, um, the new CIF induction that has to be carried out for everybody. Very and then they're obviously then the, the screening questionnaires for COVID. And when they get to site, then the site manager or our COVID-19 compliance officer can simply you know, open the app, check their name. They'll be green if they've been approved for a site, red if not. Um, and you can even take photos, upload certs, etc., without the need for handling of pen and paper and that kind of thing. Very good. Uh, Kleena, over the last number of months on the show here, you know, we've been talking about, you know, the the massive efforts uh, and the amazing work that the industry has done to to get back on site safely, you know, to integrate all of these new uh, safety procedures and protocols into their everyday, you know, whether it was by uh, phased working or shift working or splitting into teams and a whole manner of, of uh, solutions. Um, but now we're a few months on from that, you know, how have how has that whole process been for McKeown Group? You know, is it still something that's extremely burdensome, or has it almost been adopted? I, I you know, I, I'm I'm loath to use the term the new normal, but has it almost been adopted into the way things are done now? Do you know, to a certain extent, it has. I mean, you know, back again before we went back to work, we were putting, uh, you know, these new plans in place and thinking, okay, these all look good on paper, but how is it actually going to work uh, on site? But I think what has really helped is, um, you know, the attitude of, of of people on site. They have all bought into this. They they're all. Um, very wary themselves and and aware that, that that these procedures need to be followed. So it it has uh, become part of the norm at this stage. However, you do keep need, I suppose, need to to keep reinforcing. It's it's the little things that can. Um, you just need to check yourself all the time, you know, sharing of tools, that kind of thing. It's a constant reinforcement for cleaning, sanitizing, that type of thing. Oh, yeah. Look, you're absolutely right in terms of not getting complacent. To be honest, it's something that, you know, outside of the industry, it's something we're seeing in our everyday life. And, you know, the interesting thing, I've seen that um, children seem to be really good at this. You know, they just seem to be able to adopt to the new way of doing things, whether it's um, through school or sporting activities or whatever it is they're doing. And, you know, there there is this case of uh, not wanting to get complacent about it, um, but making things, to normalise some of these behaviours a little bit. And I think you're really, you know, hit the nail on the head there in terms of attitude. The industry really bought into this. There was no, there, you know, there was no element of, of thinking that this was tokenism in any way. People knew how important it was having seen the sites shut down and having been furloughed or, um, you know, having their wages subsidised. You know, really, this is something that nobody was taking for granted, you know. So definitely there was massive buy-in. And I think maybe the construction industry from a safety point of view perhaps even had a bit of an advantage here because safety is something that's been taken so seriously 
over the past, you know, decades that, I, you know, maybe th- there was a bit of a natural advantage here that we saw? That That's uh, completely true. And, and I mean, things like, um, you know, regular toolbox talks there, you know, they're naturally took place in, in any case. So now you're adapting those toolbox talks to, you know, um, reinforce social distancing, all that kind of thing. But yes, it very much um, did help that that safety was such a, a focus in any case in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think as a third generation business, does that, you know, when, when we hit like a really unprecedented uh, level of chaos like we did in 2020, do you think being a third generation business gives you kind of some natural advantages in terms of resiliency or is it is it more burdensome? Like is that legacy maybe heavy at times like this? Um, it's probably a bit of both, to be uh, quite honest. So, so there is always that feeling of, oh God, we're the third generation. <laughs> Let let's not us lose it at this point. I can imagine. Um, so there's that, but there is you. You're uh, correct there on on picking out that term resilience. Um, and I mean, uh, Thomas and I would have, you know, seen the the business go through um, ups and downs over the years. Uh, you know, would have heard uh, Dan speaking about difficulties he came across and what we really learned from him I suppose was that there's always uh, something can be done you know uh, if you put your mind to it you can adapt and I suppose perhaps that is something that uh, is um, unique or helped out by the fact that we are a family business there's that feeling that you know we'll sit down we'll go through the options we'll find a way through. Do you know, that reminds me of a, a book I read last year by Marie Forleo, and it's uh, Everything is Figureoutable. And it was like, <laughs> I do you know what, for a made up word, it was like, that absolutely makes so much sense. And, and you know, that that's where the whole idea, I think, you know, over the last over the last maybe decade or a decade and a half, the term innovation has become a little bit synonymous with technology. And actually, they really are very different things. You know, an innovative mindset will figure out anything and they would have figured out anything in the last century, um, you know, without the technology that we identify with today. So I think uh, mindset is everything. And that's clearly something that's there in the ethos of McKeown Group. Oh, yes. I mean, um, we often talk about, you know, going back to 1950 and my grandfather, um, you know, he was uh, innovative and and I suppose an entrepreneur before the term even became fashionable in that, you know, he was initially he set up a joinery shop. He uh, then moved into construction. And when there was a shortage in the industry, he uh, went and started building blocks by hand. Um, And again, uh, with with dad, you know, he never um, he never stopped thinking and thinking of ways uh, to improve the business. Um, and it's something that uh, we've even uh, focused on. I suppose we're putting the word innovation on it now, which might not have, uh, you know, been used so much back then. But we're even uh, we've engaged a lot um, in teaching the tools of innovation to our staff and the whole idea of design thinking and trying things quickly, failing quickly if need be, but trying it and moving on. And if it works, then, you you know, you develop it from that point forward. Yeah, you know, giving giving a team permission to fail is probably one of the most empowering things you can do to take 
steps forward, you know, and it's something that hasn't really been, um, you know, it definitely hasn't been a feature of the construction industry. And I'm going to say that it hasn't been a feature of Irish business. I don't think that we have a great attitude towards failure, whereas mm-hmm. if we look at other jurisdictions, you know, we can see like particularly, say, on the funding or VC side of things, you know, outside of Ireland and perhaps even outside of Europe, you know, if we look to um, North America, we can see that actually having uh, having a bit of a legacy of failure, if you can show you've learned from those failures, counts as experience, whereas in Ireland it maybe counts you out, you know. So we haven't we haven't been good at facilitating failure and uh, acknowledging the learning that comes from that and seeing it, uh, you know, seeing the inherent benefits that come from that, you know, and it's something that it's great to hear you talking about because mm-hmm. it's, you know, obviously when, there, when you're talking about a low margin business that has... Um, high safety um, concerns, then obviously, you know, failure is, is a relative term, but there has to be room for uh, for for innovation. There has to be room to try things and see how it goes. But, you know, we started the interview by remarking that McKeown Group, 70 years in the industry, which is a huge achievement, but you found a really novel way to mark this 70th. You know, you, you didn't throw a, a big a big fancy black tie bat. Obviously, we couldn't do that in, in COVID times anyway. But you chose a really uh, different way to celebrate it. So um, talk to us about Ashburn Heroes. Yeah. So um, as you say, look, at, at the start of this year, we had, um, you know, several plans for, uh, you know, to mark the celebration of 70 years. And of course, like many other things, COVID um, put a stop to a, a lot of those. But one of the things we had talked about was how we could engage with local community, with local charities and really give back to the community which we've, um, you know, um, developed in. Um, so we talked about it, um, you know, what was the best way to engage, who would we engage with? And it was actually one of the team and um, our senior QS, Joe Kirk, came up with the idea of what about recognizing those people in the community who are just doing some fantastic work for no reward, no recognition and um, just because they want to, to help others out. So we all, I think, jumped on the idea uh, straight away and thought this would be uh, a great initiative. So what we're really doing is asking people to, we've teamed up with the Ashburn Lions Club. And what we're asking people to do is think about those in their community that they consider heroes. And that does not need to be, as the the slogan at the minute, all heroes don't wear capes. (laughs) That could be anyone from your neighbour who's calling in on somebody who's isolated, who is taking the time to check on them, who's, you know, helping out with supermarket delivery. It could be frontline staff. It could be that person in the community who just will always, if something needs to be done, will, you know, put their mind to it and and, and gather a team behind them and um, just uh, carry out uh, what's necessary. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the initiative just seems really timely after the, the few months that we've been through, you know, on a personal, professional, on a, on a domestic and, and national level as well. It just seems like a really timely way to step back and acknowledge the people within our communities who who genuinely do so much, not because they have to, just be, because that's what they want to do to contribute to, to their community. Exactly. And 
I mean, COVID has, as this period has really shown us that. I mean, I know the message is social distancing, but we've all, I think, seen examples of communities actually really coming together. Um, I often think of that that Irish phrase, our Kayla Varanadina, and it could not be truer than over this period. Um, you'll, you'll have to translate. My Irish, I'm afraid, is very rusty. <laughs> well, it's. I suppose it's the idea that no man is an island, uh, you know, that we all need each other. Um, and, you know, we, we survive by uh, helping each other out. It, it, it's literally translated as uh, we all live in each other's shadows. Oh, that's a lovely expression. I haven't heard that before. Okay, good. No, that's a lovely one. Um, okay, so just for people who want to nominate. So I understand now the nomination process is open as of yesterday. That's right. Yes, we launched it yesterday. So um, there's, there's several ways you can apply. Uh, you can apply online um, or you can uh, drop a form into the local Bank of Ireland in Ashburn or post it to ourselves. And the uh, details are on uh, our, the mckeown.ie website and on ashburnheroes.ie. Super. OK, well, um, and I, I know from taking a quick look at the website, that there are some great prizes involved. Uh, you're, you're shortlisting 10 finalists, but I know the top prize is a 1,500 euro voucher for a hotel stay in Ireland. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and lots of prizes in between. That's it. Okay. Clean it's a, it's an amazing initiative and I think it's a really timely initiative. And, you know, look, the whole theme of our show today is about the industry giving back. Um, so it's amazing to see this, uh, you know, CSR, this corporate social responsibility in action, particularly as part of the community. So congratulations again to all of McKeown Group on, on achieving 70 years in the industry. It, it is an absolutely massive achievement. And I, I, you picked a really remarkable way to celebrate it. So that was director at McKeown Group and judge in the Ashburn Heroes Initiative, Cleana Malloy. So again, thank you for joining us, Cleana. And I would encourage anybody to take a look at ashburnheroes.ie. And if you're living in the area or you know somebody living in the area and you feel that, you know, they, they have been doing some work that maybe goes a little bit under the radar, um, certainly I, I recommend a nomination. So we need to take another quick break and we'll be back shortly. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Hello and welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM. So as we started out by saying um, at the top of the show, it has been a particularly busy September and we certainly didn't expect it to be this year due to ongoing COVID-19 restrictions. However, it has certainly um, surpassed expectations in terms of the number of traditional events uh, that would normally take place in function rooms all around uh, the country. They've all transitioned online, which is great to see. So I just wanted to take a few moments out to go through some of the events that have happened, some of the key insights and indeed um, just really to look ahead at a couple of events that are coming up over the next week or so. But before I start, I just wanted to bring a news item to your attention that um, came out this week and that is more than 30 people queued overnight to secure a property in Carlow. So on Dublin Street in Carlow, uh, more than 30 people, prospective buyers, queued outside the estate agent's in order to secure a property in Carlo. So it is quite shocking that we're back to this again. Um, it's something that the industry really needs to handle better and estate agents need to know that you can't have 30 people queuing overnight for a property. There's better systems in place, there's technology in place and it is detrimental to the industry to see news stories like this coming out. So I would 
really urge any estate agency that finds themselves in this situation, maybe to to look at a technology that can be used, maybe to deal with and process um, property applications in a different way. So in terms of events this year or this month, uh, September started off by uh, Jess Kelly in Newstalk actually launched um, a six part series called Embedded and Tech in Town. So this was a piece sponsored by Salesforce and it was looking at the impact of technology companies, particularly um, Silicon Valley technology companies coming into Ireland, setting up in the Silicon Docks and the impact that has on the town. Now, um, Jess Kelly, she actually took a really interesting approach here by looking at the evolution of the Docklands over the last 20 or 30 years. So the podcast is available. Again, it's called Embedded Tech in Town. And I recommend it's on the news the um, news talk website. Go back and take a look at that series or, or have a listen in. It's a really interesting one. Um, also from an iProperty radio uh, perspective, we finally got to sit down and have a chat with a well-known property developer, Paddy Kelly, to talk about some of the lesser known aspects of his 60 years in the industry. Um, it, it, look, we, ha- we had a wonderful chat. Unfortunately, we couldn't capture all of it on video and audio. However, there is a video series. There's about three videos available on the iProperty Radio YouTube channel. Um, so I definitely recommend if you have an interest in knowing any secrets that happened in the industry over the last 60 years, uh, t- take a listen in. The, the videos are quite interesting. Again, we couldn't capture everything, but we're not finished yet because um, after the restrictions in Dublin um, are lifted, we will be continuing the discussion with Paddy Kelly also to see what um, through Red Quartz, what the future plans are. There's some interesting things planned. So we're definitely going to continue that conversation. Um, also, Host in Ireland, the collaborative body for the data sector here in Ireland or the data centre sector here in Ireland, uh, they hosted a really informative webinar to discuss the digitalisation energy and climate change. Um, Now, that's, again, so topical at the moment. And it's one of the best insights I got into maybe um, the the true carbon use, um, actual realistic steps that can be taken towards achieving carbon neutral over the next decade. Um, There was a lot of interesting insights there. If you have an interest in uh, which we all will need to have. Um, I recommend go back and listen if that facility is there. Again, that's host in Ireland and it was centred on the data centre sector. However, there was a lot of information there that could really be applied right across the real estate sector. So definitely worth listening again. Um, also, the Irish Planning Conference took place earlier this month and there was a whole range of speakers from the Western Development Commission, the Office of uh, the Planning Regulators, the Eastern and Midland Regional Assembly and of course, on board Planola. Um, sorry, it was the Office of Planning Regulation. And that was, that was uh, again, an interesting one because we know that there's a lot of changes have happened. And what I was particularly interested here would be, would there be any changes in terms of public consultation? Um, and maybe the taking that online from a statutory point of view, I didn't really see anything to that. Also, last week was indeed Pensions Awareness Week 2020. And there was a whole day of events um, just to inform people on the benefits of purchasing property through their pension and the various options available. So I recommend if you have an interest in this, just go to the Pensions This Week website and there's a playback option on a number of those events. Um, Now, actually, an interesting one for us earlier this week, uh, or sorry, late last week now, um, Women in PropTech, which is a global organisation, 
uh, PropTech Ireland and I specifically had the great joy of hosting the Ireland edition Zoom chat. Um, now, this is an important one because it gives really the Irish industry a voice internationally. So we were, you know, talking the changes, the impact of the pandemic on real estate here and maybe some of the likely expectations. So I was delighted to be joined by Deirdre Costello and Rita Carney of JLL. Also, Nellie Reid of Meehan Green joined us. And um, Nellie did uh, rightly remind us that uh, last week actually was Global Green Building Week. So we got to discuss maybe, you know, some of the impacts of the pandemic on energy consumption and how that is perhaps um, incompatible with sustainability agenda, yet it is necessary and maybe ways that we can we can control that somewhat or, or reduce it somewhat. So it was an interesting, albeit slightly premature conversation. However, um, it was interesting to know some of the technologies that could be employed actually for greater sustainability. So that's something we're definitely going to revisit on the show here. Now, tomorrow, Wednesday the 30th, there's actually three events kicking off. So BizNow, um, the global and particularly UK company, are hosting uh, a built-to-rent panel about the Dublin market. So that promises to be an interesting one. Also, the Land Development Agency is hosting an online event, a design review of Colbert Station. Now, Colbert Station is one that we've written about and talked about um, quite a bit in the past. It's a really interesting and ambitious project for Limerick. So I haven't been to this type of event before, a design review, but I'm looking forward to it. So if anybody is around, uh, the Land Development Agency details are on their website and that kicks off tomorrow at, I think about 5.30, but double check the time on the website. Um, also, the Real Estate Future Proof Conference kicks off tomorrow. That's a global online conference and uh, the tickets are free and are still available. If you have a quick Google of Real Estate Future Proof, you should be able to get all the information in there. Um, as Frank mentioned, Architecture at the Edge kicks off this Friday, both on and offline. It's definitely worth heading to architectureattheedge.com just to get a full lineup of the events. Um, and finally, a CRE uh, Tech, which is Commercial Real Estate Tech. So the CRE Tech Sustainability Summit kicks off this month. Now, there's a couple of different phases here. So the US perspective takes place on the 1st of October, but the European perspective takes place on the 7th and 8th of October. So again, that prompts us to be an interesting one and uh, very relevant and topical at the moment. So you'll find that at CRETech. Uh, com and it's the Sustainability Summit. So look, I think that's it for us for, for today and for this week. As mentioned, it's been a particularly busy month. Uh, next month, there aren't quite as many events scheduled, but I will try my best to notify you of any that I think might be of interest, particularly now that global events have become so accessible um, as they're taking place online. So that's it from us today. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM. Get in touch with the show on social media at iPropertyRadio or email hello at ipropertyradio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week. From myself, Carol Tallon, stay safe.